Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a sermon from Toby Sumter, pastor of King's Cross Church in Moscow, Idaho. The sermon is called Faith, Fellowship, and Fruitfulness. Listen to many more sermons from King's Cross now on Canon Plus. sermon text this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to read two verses, verse 1 and then verse 6. These are the words of the living God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray together. Father, we live in times where the darkness seems darker, and we're tempted to fear, worry, all kinds of anxiety about the future, about our families, about our children and our grandchildren. But we know that you are God, that you are there, and you are for us and for our families. So please use this word, your word, to guard our hearts and direct our eyes to you now so that we may trust in you, so that our homes, our families may be places of joy and light and relief. Because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you can tell, just looking around, or if you've just got your ears open and you're listening, we're a congregation full of fruitful families. There's piles of children, and it's relatively regular when we have visitors, and and I'm saying goodbye to them at the end of the service. They're they're visiting from out of town, and they say, wow, that's a lot of kids. (laughs) They say, yeah, we like them. Yeah, we're into kids. Um, and, and so, um, but we know that this is not an automatic blessing. This is a blessing that has to be received by faith. It's not just enough um, to have lots of kids. It, children are a blessing from the Lord if received by faith and then raised in faith. And you just heard the, the vows that were taken at the baptism and you all took a vow to help those parents raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what makes it a blessing. That's what makes it so good because uh, they're raised in the Lord and they join with us. They join with us. Um, uh, But it's not an automatic blessing, of course. Those who neglect that duty, um, just because you've had piles of children, of course, you can also, that can also turn into piles of trouble. That can turn into piles of turmoil, piles of darkness and sadness and regret um, and pain. And so we know this is a heavy blessing, it's a glorious blessing, and we want to receive it well. And so for the next five Sundays, beginning today, we're just doing a short series on what the Bible says about raising children. And then we'll get back to Acts. Those of you who say, wait, what happened to Acts? We're going back to Acts in a few weeks. Don't worry, hold your horses. So this week, we're beginning with big picture, and the big picture goals of faith, fellowship, and fruitfulness. Faith fellowship and fruitfulness. So this is kind of the heading, if you will, big picture. And then in the coming weeks, next week, we're going to look at parenting young children. The week after that, we'll do parenting teenagers. The week after that, we'll do courtship and marriage. And then finally, we're going to do grandparents and grandchildren. 
So that's the, that's the plan uh, for these uh, five Sundays as we look at uh, you and your children. So I want to frame this series not merely as common sense and biblical principles, although that's true. So we're, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and then applying that with some basic uh, common sense to our families and to raising children. But I also want to frame this series in terms of our cultural and political moment. I also want to frame this in terms of our cultural and political moment. Remember when Moses preached uh, the sermon series of, that became the book of Deuteronomy, that was originally a, Moses' final sermon series before he died. Um, that's, that's where the book of Deuteronomy came, came from. And he preached that sermon series of the book of Deuteronomy um, um, with um, Joshua and the elders and the nation of Israel on the verge of going into the land of Canaan. Remember, Moses didn't go into the land. He saw it from far. Um, but they're on the other side of the Jordan. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. They're getting ready uh, to go attack Jericho. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And he preached uh, the sermon series that has become our book of Deuteronomy. And, and so notice what he was doing. He was preparing them for the fight. He was preparing them for the conquest. And, um, and the whole thing, broadly, the book of Deuteronomy is a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. It's basically him unpacking the Ten Commandments. Um, but, a whole, but notice, in order to prepare them for the battle, he charged them to love God with everything they are and then to obey him, them and their children. So while our culture is in the process of self-immolating, that's, you know, our culture's just lit itself on fire and is you know, walking off a cliff. That's, that's what the world around us is doing. Uh, while this is happening, many thoughtful Christians ask themselves, what in the world can we do? <laughs> what do we do? And, and it's, it's just, you know, and, and it's, it's clown world. And so every couple of days, you know, they come up with a new, you know, watch this. You know, no, you thought that was, you know, watch, we can do it worse. You thought that was bad? No, watch this. Even more perverse, right? Perverse squared, right? And, and you look at it and you think, what, what can we do? And, and more and more, you can't even reason. People, people, you know, try to give a talk about, you know, uh, let's have a reasonable talk about it, and they get shouted off the stage. They get screamed off the stage, and it's a, there's mobs. And you, you can't even have a conversation anymore. You say, what, what can we do? Now, there are many things we can and should do. There are many things that we can and should do. But one of them is gather ammo. But what I mean by that, some of you said, yeah. <laughs> I know this is North Idaho and everything, but hold on, let me finish the sentence. What I mean is have children and train them well. What I mean is have children and train them well. In Psalm 127, it says children are a heritage from the Lord, right? Children are a reward uh, from God. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the one whose quiver is full of them, for his children will stand with him in the gates. Part of, part of our response should be, as, as, you know, as, they, as they say, you know, they're, they're, we're in this place where, you know, you don't usually, you shouldn't usually take your cues from the world. Uh, but, when, 
but when the world says, be free, break all the rules, do whatever you want, just not this thing right here. All your spidey senses should go off and say, what thing? <laughs> you can do anything you want, anything you want. Break all the rules, be whoever you wanna be. Just don't do this one thing, right, that, right, that fruit right there in the middle of the garden, don't eat that. And all your spidey Christian senses should say, wait, what? There's one thing I'm not supposed to do? What is it? Well, it's basically, don't be a normal man who marries a normal woman and raises a troop of normal kids. That's what you must not do. And the more and more they say that, the more we should say, well, I guess I'm gonna normal even harder. Right? That's, that's what we're gonna do. Right? You, you need, it's, it's sort of inverted world and they are in, their, in their attempt to remake the world, which is what they're trying to do. They, they've said, we're gods, there's no God above. We're God and so we're gonna remake the world. We can remake the world in whatever way we want. And so they have their own sort of garden, false garden of Eden. It looks kind of like downtown San Francisco, right? And the one thing you must not do, the one thing you must not do is be a normal man who loves a normal woman for the rest of his life and raises normal boys and girls. And, we, uh, and, and the more they say that, you think, I've got to have that fruit. And you got to go and take and eat. So... This is, this is what we ought to do. Why, why don't they want us there? Because it's dangerous. Because it's potent. Because it actually will stand against the tide. And we ought to know this also from the fact that they're trying to get your kids all day long. <laughs> right? All the media, watch these shows. Look, we're going to import, we're going to put our catechism in all the media, all the shows. And we want them in our schools so we can teach them our things all day long without your input. Don't let the parents too close. All right, and we want the libraries, and we want the books. Right? They want our kids, and that should make you highly suspicious. You mean this might be dangerous to your project? Oh yeah, very dangerous to their project. And so, this is potent, this is important. So as we look at this, think about this as well in terms of what can we do? Well, love your wife even more. Respect your husband even more. Love your children even more. Train them up in the nurture and admonition even more. Gather ammo. Have children. Train them well. And those of you that don't have children yet, or your children are already grown, or whatever, as we're working through these things, there's a whole bunch of stuff that applies to you by analogy. And this is how you ought to be thinking then. Where you took a vow, all of you, we take vows every week for the children that are, that are baptized, that are being brought up, to assist one another in this project. And so you need to know, what are we praying for? What's, what, how, how does this work? How's this, how does this uh, play run? You need to know as well. Training children well begins with a firm faith in God the rewarder. Training children well begins with a firm faith in God the rewarder. That's what we just heard from Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's not merely enough to believe that God exists, you must also believe that God is for you. You must believe that God is on your side. You must believe that God is the rewarder. There's an enormous difference between parenting in faith and parenting in fear. There's an enormous difference between parenting in faith and parenting in fear. And everyone in your home can feel it. Everyone in your home can feel what's the dominant, 
What's the dominant thing in our home? Is it faith or is it fear? Everybody can feel it. Everybody knows. One fills a home with tension, stress, constant anxiety. That's the fear. If fear is the dominant thing in your home, then your home is going to be regularly filled with tension, stress, and anxiety. The other, faith, fills a home with relief, peace, joy. Faith produces relief, peace, and joy. So faith means trusting that God is there and that he's for you and for your children. That's fundamentally what it means. It means he's there and he's for you and he's for your children. The center of this faith is salvation in Jesus Christ. You know that he's for you because he gave his son for you. This is from Romans 8. In Romans 8, it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, 31 and 32. How do you know that God is for you? Because he gave his own son up for you. And, and, and Paul in Romans 8 here says, if he gave up his own son for us, how will he not with him also give us all things? And you should ask, all things like what? All things like what? How about our children? How about the most valuable thing he gives to us after himself, after his spouse? There's not, there's not, that's it. It means him and then a spouse and children. Those are the most valuable things he gives you. These are souls that will never die. But we don't have to guess. The Bible actually tells us precisely that this was promised. At the very end of our English Bibles is the book of Malachi. And the very last sentences of the Old, Old Testament in our Bibles, sorry. The very end of our Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And the last two verses say this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The very last words out of the last prophet's mouth are this promise. I am coming, and when I come, I will send an Elijah ahead of me, and when that happens... I'm coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. And Luke says that this was John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, when John comes preparing the way of the Lord, Luke says, this is the one that was prophesied to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Jesus came to take the curse that has infected all our families. Jesus came to take the curse that's infected all our families, such, such that ordinarily, apart from the grace of God, what you have is rather than hearts being turned to one another because of sin, because of regret, because of shame, because of hurt, because of, because of all these things, what tends to happen, apart from the grace of God, is rather than we're being turned towards one another, we're turned away from one another. There's enmity. There's animosity, there's resentment, there's bitterness, there's hurt, there's hatred between fathers and children. And families break apart. Jesus came to take the curse. 
He came to take the curse of fathers and the curse of sons. He came to take the curse of mothers and daughters, husbands and wives. He, take, he came to take the curse in order to turn our hearts back toward one another. But there's more. The Old Testament promises of the new covenant go even further. So Isaiah 59, Isaiah's foretelling the new covenant. There's gonna be a new covenant. And it says this, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that's upon thee and my words which I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed. It's your children and your grandchildren, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Isaiah 59, 21. Isaiah says the new covenant includes the promise of God's spirit and words being with us and with our children and with our grandchildren forever. And this, Jeremiah 32, and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they will not depart from me. That's Deuteronomy 32, 38 through 40. What good thing does God promise those who trust in him? He promises to turn the hearts of our children toward us and toward him so that his word and his spirit will remain in their mouths and in the mouths of their children, our grandchildren, forever so that they may fear him for their good. These are the promises of God. He says, do you know Christ? Has Christ taken your curse? Have you been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ? Have, have, you, have you submitted to him? Have you humbled yourself to him? Then if he's given us his own son, how will he not with him give us all things? And again, what are those all things? Including your children and your grandchildren. His word and his spirit in their hearts and in their mouths forever. This means that the dominant tone in a Christian home must be relief. If you hear this and you get this, despite what you've done, despite what your father did, despite what your grandfather did, despite what your mother did, despite what your grandmother did, despite what your uncle or your aunt or whatever has happened, despite it all, when Christ is lifted up, he takes the curse. And if, when you look to him, when you see him taking that curse, the curse that resides in your family, the curse is taken away. What, what, should, what should result from that? <sighs> Relief. You mean his sins won't chase me anymore? You mean her sins won't chase me? You mean what he did to me? It doesn't have to stick to me anymore? You mean what she said to me? It doesn't have to cling to me anymore? And Jesus says, it's finished. It's finished. There should be absolute relief in your heart and in your home, right? Peace, joy. I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's too good to be true. Laughter, right? Dancing, singing. You hear this. Children, you hear this. Because of Jesus Christ, we're all forgiven. We're received. We're loved. Relief, joy, delight, freedom because of the gospel promises of God. And men, men, you in particular, you must be the joy bringers. All of you, all of you rejoice. But husbands, fathers, you need to get this. You need to receive this for you, for your sins, for the sins of your parents. 
so that when you walk in the door, at the end of the day, you're the joy bringer, right? Right? That, this, is, this is what the prophet Zephaniah says that God does because when God himself takes away our sins, Zephaniah says that God rejoices over his people with singing. God does. God knows our messes, knows our sins, and because of his son taking away our sins, he rejoices over us with singing. God is the joy bringer. And you as a man in your household are called to imitate that. Come home with a song in your heart. And if you can sing, sing. You know, if it would be hurtful to everybody's ears, you know, you can just have that song in your heart. But they ought to see it on your face. They ought to see it in your tone. When dad comes home, joy comes home. When dad walks in the door, jubilation walks in the door. Gladness walks in the door. Relief walks in the door. Because God has set you free. The curse is gone. Set that in your home. You're the joy bringer. The dominant tone in a Christian home is relief, joy, peace, gladness. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on, right? This kid's been screaming. There's disobedience. Something got spilled. You know, whatever. Something, something's not going right. But, but over it all, underneath it all, God is for us. There is a God, he's over all, and I know he is for us because he gave us his only son. How will he not also, with him, get us through all things? How will he not, in him, give us all good things, including my kids, my grandkids? He's for us. And so it's joy, it's relief, it's peace. So, once that's established, the central goal and the central task of parenting and having a home together is maintaining that joy. You have that joy? Do you know that joy? Now maintain it. Keep it. Keep it in your home. Protect it. So what happens is, in regeneration, when you're born again, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus for the first time and you're given a new heart and the spirit of Jesus comes and lives inside of you, we're made alive by faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And in that act, we are brought into fellowship with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit and we're given a joy that can really never be taken away. That's what Jesus said in John 16, 22. I'm giving you a joy that no one will be able to take away from you. He's, you'll have a joy that no one will be able to take away from you. And this, this joy comes from fellowship with God the Father through God the Son, in God the Spirit. It's fellowship with God himself, the God of the universe, and so we have this fullness of joy that cannot be taken away. And this is what, this is what John says in, in, in the first letter of John, 1 John chapter one. 1 John chapter one, he says, he's describing um, Jesus coming in verse, verses one and two, and then verse three, it says, that which we have seen and heard, the gospel, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. You see that? So those, these are the things that we've seen and heard which has given us fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the fellowship that, that you, we want you to have with us. 
And these things are writing so that you may be full of joy. That's where the joy comes from. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the peace comes from. We have fellowship with God and one another. And with everyone who's in fellowship with the Father. So this means when a new child is born into a Christian home where this joyful fellowship exists, then that child has been sovereignly placed by God into that Christian fellowship. Here, here's a new addition to your Christian fellowship. Take her home and show her the ropes. Teach her the song. Teach her the dance. Teach her that joy. So when a new child is born into a Christian family, to Christian parents, God is sovereignly putting that child into that Christian fellowship. This is why the Bible calls the children of at least one believing parent saints, holy ones. 1 Corinthians 7.14. If there's even at least one believing parent, he says that the child of that one believing parent is a saint, is holy, is entitled to that fellowship. But this joyful fellowship, this holy fellowship must be maintained. It must be maintained by walking in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. So I'm still in 1 John here. Read a couple verses down. Verse five. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Why does, why does God have all the joy? Why is God the most joyful one? Because there's no darkness in him at all. That's why. It's all joy all the time because it's all light all the time. There's no darkness in him at all. Darkness, evil, sin, that's what clouds the joy. That's what steals the joy. But God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if we say, verse six, that we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with the light, that's where our joy comes from, but we walk in darkness, we are lying and we're not practicing the truth. You say, I got joy, but you're walking in sin. You have unconfessed sin. You haven't dealt with sin. It's still eating at you. You know that you hurt someone. You didn't talk to them about it. You know you wronged someone. You didn't make it right. Or you haven't admitted it to God. That's walking in the darkness, even while trying to walk with God in the light. And then it says this in verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So how can sinners like us walk in the light? How can we have fellowship with one another when we keep sinning all the time? When you keep making mistakes? The answer's right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has to cleanse you from all sin. Say, well, how do I get that blood on me? How do I get back into the light? How do I wash this darkness off with that blood? We'll keep reading. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, you know, one attempt is to try to pretend you're not a sinner. Good luck with that. Everybody around you knows you're lying, right? You're a liar. If you say, I have no sin, I've, I, I've did, I did everything right. It's everybody else. It's their fault. Liar, right? John says, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself if you actually believe that. Verse nine, the next verse. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do we get the blood of Jesus to wash us clean? By confessing our sins. That's how. 
You confess. It says, if you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how it works, right? If you confess your sins honestly to God, and notice there's, there's a couple things that are really glorious here. One is, you confess your sins. It says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but can you remember all your sins? Can you remember them all? <laughs> no, <laughs> can't count that high. The promise here says though, if you confess the sins you know about, God promises to cleanse you from all of them. You see? Do you see that? All right? It's like, it's like, I used the analogy before, it's like a little kid, like a little three-year-old, you know, out in the mud, just, you know, having a grand old time, playing in the mud. And all of a sudden, the three-year-old looks down at his hands and says, oh no, <laughs> my hands are covered in mud. And he stumbles into the house, dad, dad, my hands are covered in mud. And dad looks down at the kid and says, you know, head to toe. <laughs> Can you please wash me clean? My hands are dirty. And that good father picks him up and says, absolutely. You need a bath. I'm gonna watch you completely clean. But if you're standing there saying, what dirt? I don't have any dirt, I'm doing fine. I don't have any dirt, I didn't, I didn't snap at you, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't get angry, at, no, I wasn't bitter about that, I didn't lie about that, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you're not gonna get clean like that. You're pretending to be clean, you're a liar, and you're just covered in that filth. But if you say, God, I know, this is what I know about. I lied, I stole, I cheated, I was angry, I was bitter, I said things that I shouldn't have said, they were wrong, they were hurtful. If you own those things and you confess them to God and the one you've wronged, God promises to cleanse you from all of it. He cleanses you from all of it and that's how you walk in the light. You walk in the light as he is in the light, not by being perfect, but by the blood of Jesus cleansing you, washing you clean. And it washes you clean when you confess the sins that you know about, honestly and humbly. This is how it's maintained. This is how fellowship is maintained. This is how the joy is maintained. You lose the joy when you get the darkness, when the sin creeps in, when you sort of shove it off, well, it's not that big of a deal. It was just a little thing. It didn't matter that much, little darkness. And that, you got, you know, you've got the, that water and that water's not quite as clear anymore. There's a little drop. Well, it's still mostly water, right? But it's contaminated now. Your joy is contaminated. And if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit's also gonna start leaning on you. The Holy Spirit inside you is not gonna let you feel good about that. And the Holy Spirit is gonna resist you in that. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 talk about this. When, when David was silent, he says his bones ached all day, all night. It was like being in the middle of an Arizona desert in the middle of the summer, baking him. He felt awful. He says, but then I confessed my sins to the Lord and you forgave. Happy is everyone whose transgression is forgiven. That's where the joy comes from. The joy comes from having your sins forgiven and having a clean heart because he's washed you clean because you confessed everything you knew about and now he's washed you completely clean. Now, in a home, this means that you know, messes happen. In a Christian home, messes up. And you have two, two houses on the exact same street, you know, like the spec houses, you know, the, the builder made like six of the same houses. And you have two families in the same, same exact layout of houses right next door to each other. And let's say, they, you know, six kids and six kids. You know, they're a big house, big family, you know. And you walk into one, and it looks like a bomb went off, right? You walk into one, and there's this, you know, dirty sock hanging off the ceiling fan. And, you know, there's banana peels on the floor. And there's a pile of dishes that haven't been done in six months. And, you know, it's just, you know, you just want to, 
let's just burn it, you know, that kind of house, right? And you can walk into the exact same house, same number of kids on the other side, right over there, same layout and everything. You walk on and it's clean. It's tidy. Like, what, what's the difference? In one house, they pick up. That's the difference. They make messes in both houses, don't they? There's dirty dishes, dirty laundry, spills. It happens. The difference is in one house, they pick up. In one house, they clean up. In one house, they do the dishes when they make the dirty dishes. They do the laundry when they have the dirty laundry. When there's a spill on the floor, someone says, hey, I'll get the mop. Christians are not people who don't sin. Christians are people who know what to do about sin. Christians are people who know what to do about sin. And when it happens, you say, oh, the blood of Jesus was shed for this too. Quick, let's get out the mop. Quick, confess. Let's confess and I'll forgive and it's clean. That's how you get clean. And the thing is, is you can get good at it. <laughs> if you're not in the habit of doing this and you, you don't ordinarily confess your sins and you don't ordinarily address sin in your home, the, it's kind of, gonna, it's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be awkward when you first start. You're not used to it. It feels weird, it feels strange. It's, and maybe it takes a while to untangle because you never did it before and, and you're kind of, you know, everybody's looking at each other like, are you about to trick me? But what happens is when you honestly mean it and you honestly confess it all and you're not pointing a bunch of fingers and you're just taking responsibility for what you did and you're asking for forgiveness and the other person says, okay, I forgive you. And God has forgiven you. Guess what? That mess is gone. It really is clean because it's under the blood. It's under the blood of Jesus and it's gone. It's clean. And then you can move on to the next one. And if you haven't been cleaning the house in a while, you might have a number of things to clean. But once you see one mess cleaned up, you say, oh, wow, this is amazing. We can do this. This is, you can do this. You can get clean. You can get back in the joy. You can get back into the light. This cleansing takes place through your own confession of sin. But this means day to day, basically there's two options for dealing with sin. So your own sin, you need to confess and deal with. But the other two options you have, what if someone has sinned against you? Well, your two options are either, you can either cover that sin in love or you can confront it in love. You can either cover that sin in love or you can confront that sin in love, right? Now, when you're covering your sin in, in, someone's sin in love, you really have to cover it. This is not, I'm gonna remember that and I'm gonna bring that up later, but I won't let it bother me now. That's not covering it. That's keeping a record of wrongs. No, if you're gonna cover it, you need to put it under the blood. Put it under the blood. It's like dropping it in a volcano. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> you try to fish that thing out, you're, it's not gonna work. That's not gonna be good, okay? If you're gonna cover it in love, you know, uh, maybe a, a, a snappy word or someone, you know, said they're gonna be at, there at a certain time and they're, they're late or they didn't show up or they forgot about something important. And you say, no, I'm not gonna bring that up. I'm gonna cover it in love. All day long, there's, there should be plenty of times to cover things in love. And, but what you're doing is you're dropping it in the volcano of the cross. It's gone. It's covered by the blood. There's nothing there. It's just joy, peace, harmony. You're not going to bring it up. It's gone. That's one option. Cover it in love. How much sin has God covered in your life? Right? How much? You can't count that high. How have you been loved? How have you been forgiven? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise, right? Don't, haven't you been forgiven much? Then be grateful, be glad to cover much. 
Now, there are some things that have to be addressed. They're just, they're there, they're in the room. They have to get addressed and then they need to be confronted in love. But when you confront in love, this is not you, you know, WWF wrestling on top of them with the pile driver, right? Ha, I caught you in sin. <laughs> that doesn't, nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants, no, that's not a good setup. It says you who are spiritual confront someone who's in sin in meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That doesn't mean you never do it, it means you're gentle. It means you recognize, I'm a sinner too. Sometimes I lose my temper. Sometimes I've done this same thing. And you remember to take the log out of your own eye. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is not to have bragging rights. The goal is not to be able to manipulate them, the goal is to restore fellowship. The, the goal is to restore friendship and joy. The goal is winning your brother. Remember the Hippocratic Oath applies here also. First, do no harm. Pastor Doug likes to say, there's no situation so bad that you can't make it worse. <laughs> Just as a, you know, friendly encouragement, <laughs> right? But, but the point is, is a good one. It's like, first, do no harm. When, when, when things have been rough and harsh, think carefully, pray about it. You may in fact need to go and confront. Yes, that's sometimes necessary. The goal is to win. Sometimes invasive surgery is necessary. Sometimes you do need to bring up something from the past because it's there and it's haunting everybody. Sometimes you do need to dig it up. Sometimes you do need to make an incision. But remember that this risks infection. Remember that a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Proverbs 18, 19. So be wise, be careful. Get rid of all bitterness, resentment, grudges, past offenses. In yourself, get rid of them all. Be determined to root them out. Love keeps no record of wrongs and does not let the sun go down on your anger. As much as it depends upon you, you wanna be dealing with sin right away, all the way, as soon as possible. How do you keep your house clean? Do the dishes right away. Do the laundry right away. Take out the garbage right away. Keep your house clean. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on a mess in your heart or in the heart of one of your children or your spouse. So faith means believing that God is there and that he is for you and he is for your children because of what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the seed of the gospel from which proceeds all Christian fruitfulness. And this means that a Christian home is marked by this joy and relief. Our sins are forgiven. We're in fellowship with the Father and we're in fellowship with one another. And I've, I've been pastoring for a number of years and I've, I've seen a whole bunch of stuff. I've seen some things. And I'll tell you this, 90, 95% of the whole ball game is this. Just stay in the light. Stay in the fellowship. Confess your sins and forgive. Do it right away, completely. If you're doing that, you have the most fertile soil. That's where fruitfulness grows. That's where life grows. That's where joy, that's where it all grows, is right there. That, that's, that's most of the ball game right there. If you can keep your hearts clean by confessing your sins and forgiving one another quickly, there will be light in your house. It will be a house full of light. Christian love guards this joy and the, all the resulting fellowship by dealing with sin as quickly as pos possible. Either covering that sin in love or confronting that sin in love Remembering to take the log out of your own eye first. Confess your sins first. Assume you're a bigger part of the problem. And incidentally, this includes parents confessing their own sins to their children. 
Parents, do you want your children to know how to confess their sins? Then show them how. Right? When you've sinned against them, tell them. They know. Make it right. And there's something really potent about that. My dad confessed sin to me, I think, like twice that I can, probably more than that, but I remember, they still stick with me because my dad's a really good, faithful man. And both times I was like, I didn't know you did anything. <laughs> but you're forgiven. <laughs> but, I, but I still remember that. I think my dad's a man. He's a real man. He knew that that mattered. And it still sticks with me today. That's how you keep the light shining. Christian faith believes that God believes God, that children and joyful families are central to the mission of the earth, being filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. By faith in the promises of God, our children are not only an inheritance in the Lord, but they are reinforcements in the war as we receive them by faith. Father, we thank you for the great gift it is to live in these days. We know that you have assigned us this moment, 2023, to live for you. And this assignment is from you because you're for us and you're for our children. We know that you intend to shine your light through us. So we ask you to guard and defend us, guard our families, guard our children, guard our grandchildren, just as you've promised. And guard us with your mighty peace that passes all understanding so that our homes may be filled with fellowship and laughter and every kind of fruitfulness through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, singing. You'll notice that our practice during this meal is to remain seated while we partake of it. The reason for this is not because of mere convenience or protocol. We believe that by sitting while we partake of this meal, we are expressing an important aspect of what this meal means. In the Old Covenant, the priests were forbidden from sitting in the presence of God. This is because priests were servants or attendants in God's temple. They needed to be standing and always ready to attend to any given need at a moment's notice. There was always work to be done in the ministry of reconciliation between God and man. But now, in the New Covenant, that work is finished. Christ declared it so on the cross. There is no more work to be done to accomplish peace and reconciliation between God and man. In his death, Christ was the final propitiation for our sins. There is no more wrath for sin. And after he accomplished this work, what did Christ do? He sat down at the Father's right hand, sitting or resting as in the Sabbath is a sign that work has been completed. Beyond this, we need to ask what Christ sat down to do. He sat down at the Father's right hand that he might rule and reign over the nations with a rod of iron. Sitting is a posture of kings and rulers. It is reserved for those who have no work to do in order to earn their position. They have been granted power and authority to rule and make judgments. This meal is a peace meal between God and man, showing that wrath has been removed and sins have been forgiven. And so we sit during this meal because we are not striving to achieve our own righteousness. We recognize that Christ did this for us. And now we sit because we have been invited by God to sit with him, to rest in Christ's work on, beha on our behalf, and to be served by him of his own body and blood. Paul says in Ephesians that by our union with Christ, we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. 
We are at once seated both here in this old nightclub and in the heavenly places. We are at once seated here and there, reigning and ruling with Christ. We sit as judges over the earth, enjoying our table fellowship with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords. He welcomes you now to sit at his table and to partake of the true bread and the true wine. And so come and welcome to Jesus Christ. The charge is to walk in the light as he is in the light, letting the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you from all sin. Stay in that fellowship. Stay in that joy. The promises of God are for you and for your children. And let your home be marked with that relief. And go now with the blessing of your God on your heads and on your homes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. And amen. amen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more from King's Cross and from Pastor Toby Sumter, now on Canon Plus. Mm-hmm.